listeners you're listening to chewing the scenery horror movie podcast we are a podcast where three friends get together and talk about a horror movie and uh we're meeting virtually of course duh and we'll spoil the movie we talk about and we'll try not to spoil recently watched um we thank the moon rays for giving us that song intro creature features at the top of the show find their music on amazon or apple music where you could buy it digitally say hello to them on facebook where they are the moon dash rays and um we're not professional critics, but we are professional coloring bookmakers. Uh, what's cool here is that uh, the usual three friends who get together, it's going to be different tonight, we'll explain later, made a coloring book. You can go to plan9coloringbook.com. That is plan, the number nine, coloringbook.com. And it is the Plan 9 from Outer Space Coloring Book, made by the three of us usual hosts and... Uh, That'll click through to Etsy where you can buy it. And like I've said before, I'll send you extra stuff. I'm not going to tell you what exactly, but I'll send you extra stuff. All right, I'm going to bump the volume down a little and see if we get a little less hissing. Uh, you know, internet audio, what are you going to do? Uh, is that all the usual housekeeping? Did I forget something? I think so. Yeah, okay. You're Richard. I'm Richard. I'm, I'm here. Will. <laughs> I'm here with Will. I'm Jackie, our... Our uh, friend of the show, who is a Nicolas Cage enthusiast and bit of an expert, is going to be joining us shortly. In the meantime, we will talk about recently watched. Is it easier if you go first or if I go first? Sure. I've recently watched some Star Trek. TNG? Yes. TNG still. (laughs) I think we're into the fourth season now. Star Trek Tongue Uh, and Groove. Yeah. Uh, Tony Todd was on one. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He talked about that on uh, Mick Garris's uh, postmortem podcast. Mm. I listened to this whole Tony Todd episode. Uh, I don't know if it was before or after we did Candyman, but I'm just kind of enamored with Tony Todd and his work ethic and his cool voice. Yeah, yeah. So he was a Klingon. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I remember him showing up on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, so, that's weird. Yeah. So he's got. There's people you see you see in like uh, later roles. They have a, a bit part that they'll turn up later in a different role. But you know, like oh, that's so and so. He plays somebody else later. He's a Ferengi. Now he's some other guy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Was that kind of it for recent? Uh, I did watch two things. This was a while back, but we didn't do this uh, last week. But I did watch two things uh, with you in mind. Uh, something called Hangar One. Oh, I've, I've seen Hangar One. That's the, which seri- is the, the series. UFO show. Yeah. I got sucked in with some trailer about a guy going underground and seeing aliens. 
unfortunately, that's about all the story was. So oh, he's the one that got preview. his he got his fingers blown off. Uh huh. Yeah, that one's that one's great. Yeah, totally didn't happen. No. No. So, uh, yeah, I watched that. I watched a couple episodes of those, and, uh, and that's about it. You know, I shouldn't talk shit. I mean, I I wasn't there. I don't know what happened to his fingers. But uh, you know, aliens, sure. Sure. I watch. I think all of the Hangar One episodes they had. Um, I can't get enough of them UFOs. You know that about me. Yeah. If I think I will be disappointed if they ever do full disclosure. Probably. I'll do, there'll be no more dragons to slay. What the hell are we gonna do? Yeah. Um. What else? Was that it? That's it for me. Did you see the the new um, Batman trailer with uh, I did. with glittery vampire Robert Pattinson? If I'm going to yeah. say it correctly. Uh, what do you think? It looked okay for a Batman movie. You going to give it a chance? Probably not. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think I will, I mean, but you know me. I'll, I'll watch any Batmans. Unless it's got, I don't know, the best reviews ever. Yeah. But the Dark Knight. It's free and my face is facing it. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. I guess, I guess it'll, it, yeah. You can't always trust other people's opinions about them either, can you? Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so my recently watched. Now, I mentioned that I had watched In Search of Darkness. I don't think I talked about this previously. Oh, no, you didn't. You mentioned it briefly. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, was, I just told you about it. So for the listeners, I watched a four-hour-plus documentary on Shudder called In Search of Darkness, and it's all about 80s horror movies, and it goes year by year, and it covers... Some of them more than others, but the style of it's really cool because it keeps panning around this whole, like, massive expanse of movie posters, and then it zooms in on one, and they talk about that movie, and then sometimes it pans over and zooms in on another one, they talk about the next one. And some of them you don't really feel like hearing about, some of them you've never heard of, some of them you're like, why are you talking about that? But all in all, you get a lot of information some uh, good sort of, I guess, panelists, you could call them. Uh, and there's a lot of information there and a lot of interesting stuff. So that was totally worth watching. I was kind of on a horror doc kick for a couple of nights. And the other one I watched, for listeners who aren't familiar with Jack Pierce, we'll just mention who he is briefly, the guy who invented all the best universal monster makeups. I tried to watch this. You didn't get very far? Was the style too much of a uh, dated thing? Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, they needed they needed somebody who could take a breath while they were reading news articles. Yeah. There was, the, you know... The guy was too fast and too stilted. Yeah, and you know, production uh, values and, and um, things like that aside, I, I appreciated the archival images... Uh, the archival footage, uh, the information, the pictures, you know, just uh, sort of getting a glimpse at that world. Did he, I don't know if you stayed with it long enough, did he remind you of a really short Harvey Keitel? <laughs> it's like... I can see that. Oh, you sent him for the wolf? <laughs> he just kind of looked like Pulp Fiction era Harvey Keitel. 
And I, you know what? I, I knew nothing of the man's height, but they mentioned that he was five foot five, but really, really good at sports. And he, and, uh, he coached the universal studios basketball team. Um, most of whom went and, uh, won, I think they won the gold medal at the, uh, Olympics during world war two, you know, when we kicked Hitler's ass. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. I mentioned height and I mentioned Hitler. So, Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. I guess check those boxes if you're, or if you're playing a drinking game, I watched, uh, part of a documentary about voodoo, but I wasn't really kind of hanging with it too well. So I went back to my search on, uh, Amazon prime video. I watched voodoo man starring Bela Lugosi and John Carradine. This was one hour and two minutes. It was made in 1944, and it was basically, it looked like a, a an episode of a serial uh, from the era. It yeah. Was, it was like, <laughs> this thing's an hour long. <laughs> it was an hour too long. Yeah, it was not good. But, uh, you know what, Lugosi, he, he owns the scene, every scene that he's in, and... Uh, it's, it's great to, to just watch him do what he does. And the story was like it was written by a seventh grader. You know? Yeah. It just, it's not a good movie, but it's it was fun to watch anyway. So uh, I watched an episode. I've seen that one, and I don't remember anything about it. Not much voodoo. They tried to make things look voodoo-y. Yeah. And I think I discovered something about myself. I think I like the Hollywood misinterpretation and fumbly handling of voodoo. Uh, I think I like that more than when you're given actual real voodoo representation in a movie. Well, certainly. Yeah. It's got a, you know, there's all kinds of candles and snakes that appear out of nowhere and, you know, people going into trances and, uh, crazy stuff happening. Basically serpent in the rainbow. Yeah. You know, uh, I think I like that better than if you were to say, here's a, an accurate depiction of voodoo. Uh, but we should definitely talk about doing a voodoo extravaganza again. Um, I, wa- yeah. I watched Jawbreaker. Uh, and I know I mentioned this uh, to you on the phone. Um, this one was a 1999 dark comedy, I guess you could say. Written and directed by uh, Darren Stein. He's known for other stuff but uh he made this and (laughs) (laughs) it had rosa mcgowan rebecca gayhart julie ben benz and um judy greer but it also had a different spelling pam greer the actual pam greer was in it as a detective and that was kind of awesome and uh pj souls was in it that was neat basically uh it's a dark comedy where these girls go to do a uh like a cheerleader kidnapping type thing and grab their friend and and like tie her up throw her in the trunk and then surprise her and take her out at the pancake restaurant well um rose mcgowan's character gets the bright idea that when they're kidnapping her to just stuff a jawbreaker in her mouth and it's like one of the really big ones and and so they come in in like ski masks and uh tie her up and they're going to tape her mouth shut. But first she stuffs a jawbreaker in her mouth. And, and this is no spoiler. This is like the first three minutes of the movie. They pop the trunk open at the restaurant and they can see the jawbreaker lodged in her throat. You can see the big ball shape in her throat and she's dead. Yeah. So they decide to cover it up. Hilarity ensues. 
It's All right. it's worth watching. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I started some other thing that was a total piece of crap, and I forget what it was called, but it was uh, it was one of those '80s teen TNA things that just isn't any good. Uh, and it's it's a horror movie, but I'll talk about that next time because I only watched about 15, 20 minutes, and it was total garbage. But I'm gonna go back and watch the rest of the garbage. What was it? I don't remember the title at all. I'll have to oh. I'll have to open Amazon Prime back up. And, or prime video back up and and uh yeah. see what that was so that's uh kind of it for my recently watched other than color out of space and we'll be joined by jackie here in a minute who uh if you listened to our cage match episode you would know her uh she i met her at a um at a uh, morbid curiosities expo where I was a vendor and she was carrying a vampire's kiss tote bag. And we started talking Nicholas cage movies right away. Yeah, we, uh, that's how we met. And, um, and, uh, the rest is history for anyone who, Hi. Uh, Hey, now we can see you. look at your hair. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Two hours of haircut. <laughs> you, ju- you just got styled. All well, right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. So welcome to the show. We just did recently watched and I uh, was talking about how we met and uh, mentioning to any listeners who didn't hear the cage match episode that <laughs> that is you. And uh, we all watched color out of space. Yes. <laughs> Some of us, one of us, at least for a second time, uh, me for the first time. Uh, how did it hold up to a rewatch? I got to ask. Um, you know, uh, I actually liked a lot better the second time. Yeah. And yeah, not that I didn't enjoy it the first time, but, um, I just picked up on a lot more stuff and it probably helped that there were some chemical aids involved, but, (laughs) um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm actually really glad I watched it the second time because the first time was, um, when it was showing in theaters at the sea and it just felt uh very chaotic and it was actually kind of nice to watch it at home without any distractions and pick up on more stuff so did it help that it wasn't filling as much of your your peripheral vision what to watch it at home rather than uh, to have that giant screen at the movie theater (laughs) maybe that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> you didn't feel like it was owning you as much <laughs> um well while i was getting ready for the show i have to tell both of you and and the listeners that uh a long time ago i mean a long long time ago a friend of mine told me that he had put a book on hold at a bookshop and then um he told me later he never got the money to go pick it up and i said okay cool well i went in the bookstore and picked it up and this is a 1945 uh, first edition printing, the best supernatural stories of H.P. Lovecraft. So I'm going to hold that up for oh, awesome. for y'all to see. And I'll put some pictures up on Instagram. But um, the color out of space is in here. And of course, they do the English spelling of color. Um, yes. But this is uh, this is kind of interesting that I'm able to pick this up and read it which I wish I had thought of a couple days ago. <laughs> but all, all those 
those favorite stories of H.P. Lovecraft are in that book in one form or another. And I guess later we'll talk about separating the um, art from the artist, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's one of those funny antiques that's been in my life for a couple decades plus. And um, yeah, it's kind of neat to have tangible books and then watch something like this where the supposed unfilmable thing was filmed by a crazy guy like Richard Stanley. Yeah. So how did you like his handling of it? I mean... (laughs) Is this one of those... I'm going to let you talk first. Okay. Because I'm still trying to... I'm still trying to, like, gather myself after the chaos, so okay, if I enough. might be able to... Well, I, 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 listened, <laughs> I listened to um, Richard Stanley uh, being interviewed on, a, on another podcast, and uh, basically he discovered H.P. Lovecraft when he was a kid because his mom was a big fan, so he's read these stories starting at, like, age seven or eight. Mm. And... Uh, he always sort of disagreed with people saying, well, these stories are really unfilmable. So why are people going to try and ever make something like this? And he said, well, it's not unfilmable. You can do it. You just have to, you know, find your interpretation and, and, uh, and go with it. And I think with the, um, with the special effects that are available now and, and all the different kinds of animation and CG stuff you can do, um, as long as it's handled with some care, uh, for example, some of the gooey effects with some of the mutating um, people and animals, some of that stuff may have been practical. I don't know for sure. But... Um, yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. that makes sense, because it sure looked like it was practical mixed with CG. Um, yeah. These days, people won't even do a simple, like, slashing with a knife and you'll just see this obviously fake digital blood it seems kind of dumb but uh Mm -hmm. um i'll say what did work for me is that uh everything looked beautiful and i think i think in my notes you know it's like this is so idyllic you know the visuals are great uh i don't know who the cinematographer was uh the female lead is confident Nicholas Cage's character, uh, Nicholas Cage as an actor, starts out decidedly hinged, and I'm thinking, <laughs> hinged, hinged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is this hinged business going on? And of course, in my notes, I I put is decidedly hinged. Period. So far. Period. And I'm like, I, I think I know where this is going to go. Um, they give you some exposition about the farm, why they're there, what's going on. Uh, the teenage daughter is like one Ramones t-shirt away from being like your typical rebellious teen in a movie. Um, but I think her brother is supposed to be the more rebellious one. Her form of rebellion is to just get into black magic, which I thought was kind of (laughs) cool. She didn't have a group of friends. It was just her and her books. And, uh, doing spells out in the woods. Uh, so the visuals on this worked right away. Uh, I think I liked all of the, the casting choices pretty well. They don't give either of the brothers enough to do to where I care that much about them. I mean, certainly you don't want to see yeah. a little kid get hurt. 
the doofy older brother, it's like, I don't care if he gets stoned and falls down that well, or if he climbs down that well, it's, you know, he just wasn't super interesting to me, but I don't think it could be just like the parents and the daughter. So I guess you had to have them all. I got to wonder, did Stephen King borrow this for, uh, for, uh, the creep show, uh, um, segment that he starred in. Are you familiar with this? No, you never yeah. watched creep show. Okay. So in, in creep show, uh, there's a segment, I forget the name of it. Uh, but Stephen King and George Romero made this, this anthology based on a comic book looking thing. And he is a hillbilly who sees a meteorite hit somewhere on his yeah. phone. Okay. You know, okay. Where, okay you know, yeah, the, yeah, now it's coming back to me. Okay. He ends up covered in green moss and, uh, okay. uh-huh. and I got to wonder, did Stephen King say, Hey, I got this idea. I'm just going to steal. Hey, I got this idea. <laughs> I was reading HP Lovecraft book out of the frame. yeah so uh brand new idea just came to me yeah so i was sitting there reading and this new idea popped into my head (laughs) i was reading this new idea (laughs) right um do 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 either of you watch futurama i've seen it yeah i've only seen a few episodes of it there's one where fry puts something in the microwave and then this this line of color goes through the whole ship and he goes, Hey, did everything just taste purple for a second? And I kept thinking of that when I was watching this movie, <laughs> he microwaves something that he shouldn't. And then, uh, it does something weird to, I think maybe time skips start happening. But, um, anyway, uh, cast casting choices, including Ezra, the, the squire, as they called him, uh, the old hippie living in the woods, uh, Tommy Chong. That was, uh, that was a good casting yep. choice. I wanted to see... <laughs> it was perfect. I wanted to see more of, like, what's what's his deal? I wanted to see, like, more of what what's he up to out in the woods? Like, I think they could have given us a few more interesting bits and pieces of his day-to-day life. But uh, I did like that when it rained and his house leaked, he didn't care at all. And, uh, yeah, so... Um, this probably starts like a lot of UFO stories and then goes a completely different direction. It's obviously messing with everybody's mental well-being and their sense of time and space and self, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. certainly where your fingers are when you're chopping carrots. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, but the, the boy was communicating with the quote unquote man in the well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of crazy. That kind of reminded me of, um, the Ray Bradbury story about, um, it's called zero hour, I think. Hmm. Um, it's, it's essentially like these aliens that are kind of, have been living in the ground and something but only kids can they can only communicate with kids um obviously it goes in a totally different direction but that particular thing of that like only this child is the one who can you know talk to whoever's in the well right it's a pretty cool story though that's that sounds like one of them i've heard about and never read uh 
I bet you Jolien has read that thing five times. Um, Probably. There's also an episode on uh, Ray Bradbury Theater of that one. Oh, nice. So you don't have to read if you don't want to. You just watch it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did either of you look at the time code as to when uh, the decidedly hinged Nicolas Cage comes completely (laughs) off the hinges? No, I didn't look at the time. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, he was freaking out about the alpacas at 55 minutes. And this was a... These are alpacas. Yeah, <laughs> these are important animals. Did you, did you guys uh, know, <laughs> notice the vampire's kiss accent came back in this movie? Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Okay, I knew you would. Well, I'd be very disappointed if you didn't notice it. <laughs> it's that same voice. Yeah, that weird accent he started doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Oh, there he is. He's <laughs> you got you. You're Nicholas Pillar. You just realized you couldn't see him. <laughs> he's, peek, he's peeking out from behind you. Looking decidedly hinged. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the boy's communicating with the man in the well. And uh, uh, well, I should probably say their their character. Does it matter? Do I need to say the character names? Um, I honestly don't remember the names. I don't remember their names at all. So, uh, let's see. There's uh, Nathan. And um, that, that Gardner, right? Isn't the last name Gardner? Yeah, yeah. We've yeah we've got uh, Teresa, who is uh, Jolie Richardson, and then Benny is the the, the loser boy. Uh, we got the the young son is Jack. All right. So anyway, um, that paper that paperback of uh, the Necronomicon was the same one, mm-hmm. of, the same edition that a friend of mine had, unless they never changed it. Um, a friend of mine had, had that <laughs> when I was in high school and, uh, he told me that, that he was pretty sure it was, it was created to support all of Lovecraft's work. And I think, I think he knew this before most other people knew this and I don't know where he got his information, but, uh, I remember seeing that and thinking, what kind of shit are you into? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't think anything in here is real. And he's like, besides, there's always at least one thing that you could never get your hands on. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, some dagger that was forged completely in the dark, made from some shit you can't get a hold of and, you know, tempered in baby fat or something, you know, like. That was before <laughs> eBay. <laughs> That's right. So. That shit's easy to come by. <laughs> right. Um, did you notice that, um, everyone was getting affected at different rates and in different ways at first from the, um, meteor shit? Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of came across like, like everyone, everyone was high and, <laughs> and, and then basically like, all right. You know, what did they get into? And what's with that accent? And is everyone high? Then, I, I don't think I wrote down the time code, but uh, when all the beautiful fruits and vegetables started popping up in the garden, it's beautiful. So uh, Nathan, Nicholas, Nathan, uh, uh, picks a whole bunch of these glorious fruits and vegetables, including tomatoes, and then has his little uh, harvest tasting freak out in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> where he's stuffing, <laughs> st- stuffing P. 
peaches and tomatoes in his mouth and taking big bites, and apparently they all taste terrible. Uh, and then so he, he found a peach he could not eat for hours. Right. <laughs> um, so this is this is like all right. We've we've seen all this weird color, kind of crackling and, and crawling around everything. Uh, the place is starting to look really weird and too vivid, and we get the harvest freakout scene. But there's been this little bug, this uh, this kind of dragonfly a mantis. Yeah, mantis thing. dragonfly combo. Uh, it's impossible looking. Um, of course I've, I've seen a hummingbird moth, so I've, I've seen the impossible looking thing and didn't, didn't know it existed mm-hmm. before I saw one in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, all this shit's getting really crazy, but other than the, the finger cutting scene, no one's really hurt yet. Until the daughter gets out a utility knife and starts carving herself up. So, I'm starting to wonder, at this point, have have some aliens staged an invasion? Or are these just the unintended effects of this meteorite that crashed? I don't know that we're supposed to know. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like everything and everybody is being assimilated into something else. Yeah. <clears throat> there, um, there's a scene where Nathan tries to get the car started and going. This is at one hour and 11 minutes. We get the absolute freak out. Yeah. Tantrum in the car. Probably my, f- well, I think I did. Like every time cage freaks out is my favorite moment in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The harvest tasting Same. freak out, <laughs> the car freak out, the alpaca freak out. <laughs> so, Jackie, have you seen much of the other uh, filmed versions of H.P. Lovecraft stories? Like, have you seen Reanimator? Yes. Um, so, Stuart Gordon's handling of Lovecraft stuff always gets gooey. Like, we had From from Beyond, I think, was also a, a Lovecraft story. Um Yes. But Stuart Gordon's handling of all this stuff always gets gooey and mutatey and scary. And I finally started to feel that was happening here when the son and the mom are melding together. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, That was so good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Will, you appreciate body horror and melding, don't you? Yeah. I I think the alpacas were was the best. Yeah. Oh. That was freaky. Yeah. And those are important animals. Yeah, they're the yes. <laughs> they're the animal of the future. <laughs> yes, animal of the future. <laughs> so if you're in if you're into kickboxing and alpacas, you've got the future covered because kickboxing, yeah. kickboxing is the sport of the future. Um. So yeah, now I'm reminded of Stuart Gordon, which kind of makes me happy. And of course, whenever I watch something of Cronenberg or Stuart Gordon, the two remind me of each other. And now this kind of reminds me of both. (laughs) So (laughs) it's got some kind of Cronenberg stuff going on now, somewhere in the middle of this movie, I'm reminded that, um, uh, what's her name? Jolie Richardson was in event horizon. 
Yeah. Which is absolutely horrifying or completely boring, depending on who you ask. But um, <laughs> I always found that movie to be a really good representation of of like forces of of uh, evil that is made more scary by the fact that it is all powerful and completely nonchalant. Mm. <laughs> uh, if I'm remembering the movie correctly, the, the evil doesn't care. It's going to do what it does. And it, it stops at nothing and it totally takes over. Uh, so that was an interesting tie in because this, this kind of feels similar in the sense that you can't do battle with it. You could try to get away from it. But if you can't, you know, if your horse takes off and your car already isn't starting, I mean, what are you going to do? So my theory is that um, this thing is intelligent or was sent there by something intelligent and wants to just start assimilating everything into its, its way. Um, having not read the story, I don't know if that's what's intended by Lovecraft's story or if he even tells you. But um, that's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing was like, it was a visual feast in the colorful way and the super grotesque way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, once it kicks into gear, it doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's two hours long, but you don't feel like, Oh my God, when's this going to end? You know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, Will, did you only watch this once? Yeah, I only watched this once. Okay, what were what were your big takeaways from the movie? Like having a sense of what you were getting into, knowing the work of Lovecraft, knowing Richard Stanley's a little nuts as a director, and uh, <laughs> you got Nicolas Cage in it. It reminded me a lot of uh, a movie that came out last year as well, uh, Annihilation. Mm. And, yeah, uh, I felt that although I like. Uh, color it was it kind of suffered from coming out right after annihilation okay and that it was the same sort of otherworldly presence taking over um and uh if it didn't have nicholas cage's freak out i don't think i would have liked it as much like if if they cast somebody who was going to keep it a little more reined in, this wasn't going to be as as interesting or fun. Yeah, although at the same time, maybe it would have worked better because Nicolas Cage is unfortunately in this movie Nicolas Cage, and he never stops being Nicolas Cage. So, I mean, but you hired Nicolas Cage for that reason. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, there was a, a period in time where you hired John Candy because you wanted John Candy in your movie. You didn't want yeah. his range as an actor. You wanted that thing that he does. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of big jovial boob that, you know, keeps getting into trouble and means well and is really hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it helps... Th- you know, to pair him with a director who does crazy things, dealing with the work of an author who's got some crazy stuff going on. But yeah, yeah but yeah. So uh, those movies were what a year apart, maybe. Year Ooh, and a- not even that. They no? were 
six months, maybe. Okay. Really? Really? Wow. Annihilation seems like it was longer ago. Well, all of 2020 feels like it's about eight <laughs> years now. <laughs> True. If you think back to March, I mean... Yeah. I uh, was last decade, right? Oh, my. <laughs> it's it's weird. And the year's not over yet, either, so... Oh, yeah, there's still plenty. There's Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't... Only the end of August. Oh, I just can't wait to see what happens next yeah yeah just, yeah think about like how there were people back in um like april saying well you know if this is still going on in july like, uh yeah do you, uh, have, do you have any <laughs> any idea how this stuff works <laughs> oh man we were so naive yeah mm-hmm. so young and innocent then yeah now, now we, now we can't even do normal stuff without wondering if it's going to kill us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you know we can't we can't wonder if stuff's going to kill us without having other people wonder if we're a bunch of suckers and we're believing a uh, big conspiracy. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Who would benefit from this? Uh, uh, let's sidetrack for a second. Who would benefit from this? The the Purell people. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Um, big mask is sure. It's, it's big toilet paper. <laughs> big toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made a bunch of it in the fifties, and it hasn't been selling. <laughs> <laughs> they had, they had it crammed into those giant airplane hangers with all the hula hoops. Uh-huh, yeah. They finally got all of the raver kids and, you know, these different kinds of hippies and whatnot interested in hula hoops. It still <laughs> didn't sell enough of them. It's like, oh, what, are you, what if you guys set them on fire? Ooh. And you were mostly nude. Ooh. Uh, still not selling enough of them. No, I think, I, yeah. Every time there's a conspiracy theory, I, I do have to, as much as I enjoy them, uh, I enjoy like the the old classics, you know, the JFK assassination. Kids these days with their QAnons and <laughs> JFK Junior hide now. Yeah, don't they know that there's more important things like Bruce Lee hiding out in the bottom of a missile silo? Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. But yeah, every time someone comes up with a conspiracy theory, I always have to ask. Okay, to whose benefit and how do they keep it secret if it's really, you know, we really don't know who did it. How are they covering it up? Why do they always put clues in shit? Yeah. <laughs> Every idiot can point out, but, you know, they're, they're hiding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jackie, do you have a favorite conspiracy? <laughs> I mean... I saw a, a meme the other day that was like my response to conspiracy theorists is to like one up them. And so it was like somebody saying like, Oh, I can't believe that. Like you believe somebody really landed on the moon. They're like, I can't believe you believe in the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it just, uh, I don't know. It just get more bizarre and they don't know what to do. <laughs> that was yeah. the point. You know, <laughs> 
I gotta, I gotta tell both of you that, um, something occurred to me yesterday while I was working on the, um, the outdoor kitchen. There's a, there's a whole like thing. Maybe you haven't, I don't know if I told you Jackie, but we moved about eight blocks away, uh, uh, closer to your direction. Um, sweet. And, uh, there was an unfinished outdoor kitchen that I'm tasked with finishing and it's going to be really cool. And while I'm working on it, I think about stuff and I listen to podcasts and just keep working. And, uh, it occurred to me, I wonder if anybody put all those old episodes of Art Bell's radio show. Are you familiar with Art Bell? Mm-mm. Oh, wow. There's, there's a whole treasure trove of great, oh, man. <laughs> great stuff. <there. laughs> uh, he was a uh, radio host. He, he died about, I don't know, what, six, eight years ago. Um, but he was a radio host. Three years ago. Was it just recently? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Oh, okay. So he um, originally was on, um, oh, I'm trying to think of what his first shows were called, but he ended coast up. Coast to Coast. Coast to Coast um, was. AM. Yeah, Coast to Coast AM was uh, his AM radio show where he would talk about the paranormal. He would have guests and or take callers. And sometimes he would just do the wild card phone lines and just open up the phone lines and take any caller. And sometimes he would get somebody who says that they worked at area 51 and they, and you know, they left and there's people after them. And that's one of my favorite ones, but it occurred to me that like some of this, and he would have some legit like UFO experts or, uh, you know, physicists or whatever on his show. But, uh, I'm listening to this, um, (laughs) this three hour episode (laughs) where he had, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Allen Greer, is it? The UFO expert. Uh-huh. And he was talking about, and I'm tying this back into the whole moon thing. He was talking about an astronaut that was on record as saying that when he walked on the moon, he wasn't the first man to walk on the moon, but he was one of the few who have. He said that they did see alien craft nearby. And he swore to it but he didn't like to do a lot of public events because he didn't want to have people ask him about it and then have to maybe lie to them. So he just would sort of stay out of the public eye, but he was on record as saying that there were, there were alien craft on the moon. And all right. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty badass. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> so now I have to go back and find out who that astronaut was. Cause I didn't commit it to memory or write it down. But Is that the one? Yeah, anyway, there are a lot of pilots and astronauts and whatnot that that said they saw stuff that they know wasn't of this Earth, which that that's kind of my favorite. I don't Could you call it conspiracy theory? I guess our, our government conspires to convince us none of it's real. Hmm. Or at least cover up whatever it is. Right. Like, for example, something happened at Roswell uh, in 1947, but it wasn't a damn weather balloon. Do, do we want to believe that these these top military experts in what they do don't know the difference between a freaking Mylar balloon and some sort of a solid craft that was crashed? I want to think they could recognize the difference. You know, right. Like here's a bunch of tools from your work and here's something else, you know, like, do you recognize these things? Would you know them to hold them in your hand? Of course you would. 
here's a strange thing you've never seen before. Are you going to be like, oh, whoops, it's actually a squeegee. You know, <laughs> I thought it was something else, but uh, silly me, it was actually a squeegee. So that's, that's my whole problem with Roswell, is that they went through a lot of trouble to cover up a weather balloon. I mean, threaten people's lives. There are 70 some odd people on record saying their lives were threatened. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm only telling you now because I'm dying, right? So that's my, I think that's my favorite conspiracy. Um, that and JFK. Yeah. And they, they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I got to think it was the work of Cubans and Russians. It was the commies. I told you it was the haberdashers. They killed JFK because he wouldn't wear a hat. <laughs> Didn't he wear one at the inauguration? <clears throat> or was he just taunting them? No, he didn't wear a hat at the inauguration either. Oh. He was he was the big non-hat guy. He was an anti-hatter. Yeah, and they had to, uh, <laughs> they had to take him out. Big hat. <laughs> big hat took him out. <laughs> yeah, sombrero. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I do like the idea of JFK in a sombrero for some reason. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know what. How do we go down that rabbit hole? I, I'm going to assume it was my doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that came up. Well, I guess it had to do with the uh, assimilation theory. Like, is this just aliens trying to assimilate mm. us? And they just oh, yeah. had to start somewhere, right? So they just picked a farm and, you know, launched a meteor, meteorite-looking thing at it, and boom, there it is. It starts. Um, would you want to live in that world where everything kind of mutates together and all the fruit tastes terrible? I don't think so. I don't think I would either. No. So what do you do? I mean, do you, do you eventually end up turning into light? Do we see where it was going at all? Yeah, I don't know. Like the aliens prefer that everything is, assuming it's aliens, um, they want everything to just kind of get gooed together and, you know, <laughs> not be able to do what it, you know, if, if an alpaca is not doing what an alpaca is supposed to do, then what's that, what's that pile of mutated, mean-looking alpaca goo going to do? The fruit may have tasted bad, but the alpaca may have been all right. Yeah. Yeah, there's that whole thing where he's like, well, what do we taste the alpaca meat next year? And they're like, Dad, you don't eat alpaca. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you do. This seemed to be like a weird... Did, did anybody research this? Was, is Nicolas Cage into alpacas? Did he get this tied into the movie to um, tax right off? Or? Richard Stanley is into them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... Because, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're in the actual story, but Richard Stanley ended up being the ward or some, I don't know what you call the keeper of alpacas, but uh, yeah, he was, he was uh, told that he needed alpacas in his life. And uh, before he was told, yeah, by whom <laughs> some crazy neighbor lady or something. And, and he just kind of got a, uh, an alpaca, alpaca evangelist to come around and you heard the good word. <laughs> of the Ooh, alpaca. Look. <laughs> yeah, I think what it came down to was he had some kooky neighbor that was like, you you should get alpacas into your life. Here's five of them, you know, 
And so oh, it's like, oh, what do I do with them? I'm pretty you sure eat them. I'm pretty sure that's the story. I might be conflating that with another story. Um, cause I, I do know that there are some celebrities who just have them to have them around. Just have them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what other than their, um, luxurious wool or whatever. I don't know what else you have them for other they're than delicious milk. milk. <laughs> <laughs> they're and they're <laughs> milk. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> you know, I've never heard of anyone drinking alpaca milk. Cage would pound a gallon of alpaca milk before every shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Horribly, horribly lactose intolerant, too, so it was not a good thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the, um, when you're talking about the body horror stuff and all the, the, the big clump of alpacas, you know, it, what popped in my head immediately was, um, society oh yeah the shunting you know everybody's in this like yeah big clump of gooiness yeah that's what it reminded me of yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. and yeah that was like a that was like a miniature model thing that they because i that's in one of the extras on the dvd um i can't remember exactly what they um how they moved it and stuff, but yeah, it was just like a mini little alpaca model, and Ooh, it was good. So yeah, they, so they actually puppeteered the thing. Yeah, I think so. Oh wow! Yeah, it was pretty small. So um, I mentioned earlier that we might talk about separating the art from the artist. Um, H.P. Lovecraft. Um, probably was no more or no less racist than the average um, person of New England of his day. I don't know. Other people called him of the time to calm down. They did? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. See, I don't... Calm your shit down, man. You're, you're, you're looking... You're making us all look a little bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know too much about his racism. Um... I did scroll through his Wikipedia page and it said something about he wrote some uh, some poem or some some sort of a I don't know if it was a uh, uh, what, what would you even call it uh, essay or something about black people being less less human than beast or something like that and. <laughs> It's like, well, I don't know what things were like for you in the 19 teens and twenties, but, um, that seemed even a little bit out there for back then. But outside of that, I hadn't heard much about his racist stuff. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, you know what, if you were to walk down a street and knock on every door, would everyone else be pretty much like-minded with him? Uh, is it just the fact that he was a writer that we know more about it and we know less about what the people of his day were like? Not he that... was evidently uh, pretty not just racist, but also fairly paranoid about everything. Oh, okay. Mm. There's a reason he wrote these stories about being scared of, well, the alien, the different. 
you know, it, it all ties together. Yeah. Okay. I just happened to scroll past something on the Wikipedia page while we were talking. Yeah, he, I think he was paranoid and, and racist both together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it says something here about a uh, his first poem was not self-published, but it appeared in a local newspaper in 1912 called Providence in 2000 AD. The poem envisioned a future where the people of English heritage were displaced by immigrants. Dirty immigrants. <laughs> like I- <laughs> Irish, yeah. Italians, Portuguese, and Jews. <laughs> everybody. He hated everybody. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he, was a, he, was, he was pretty bad. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I didn't know too much about this, and I've never thought yeah. to really dig into him as a person. It's like I believe uh, he hated Jewish people, but his wife was Jewish. Oh, okay. <laughs> seems like a, a a weird choice for him, but yeah, it's like all he's right. still Providence's favorite son. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Does that tell us something about Providence today? Oh, maybe. Well, he died at age 46. I mean, he probably would have been, like, imagine him as an old man if he was this bad in his, <laughs> in his, in his life thus far. Uh, wow, I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah, well, everyone yeah. died young back then, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, so he was active uh, 1917 through 1937, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, enough about that. I mean, I guess, you know. <laughs> can't really say much about him except well people keep going to that well for some reason i mean I yeah guess, i guess in 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 that day what else could you go to like well edgar Allan poe you know that's what else you got just these two guys mainly you know yeah there wasn't other people yeah. that's what's funny is because people were more popular <laughs> than lovecraft that we don't know anymore they're totally forgotten now yeah but lovecraft mm-hmm. he was fairly obscure his stuck around mm-hmm. you know and i i think if if there wasn't the 1980s handlings by Stuart gordon and his his troop of favorite actors um you know i don't know that we would be maybe as interested today to hear more about lovecraft stories and see. maybe yeah I don't know, because, like, Reanimator is a pretty indelible mark on uh, film history, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just something to be said about, uh, you know... Even how... more than that, I think uh, I think Evil Dead with the Necronomicon. That's true. You know, it's... Really yeah. It's sort of... popularized. Yeah. Yeah, it got, it got people interested in heading down that path. At least that's where I first occur, or first encountered the Necronomicon, the Evil Dead. But it's really just tangentially uh, connected, though. It's not really, there's not a whole lot of Lovecraft's story, is there? No, there's no story really there. <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of Lovecraft right there. There's not really much of a story there. Yeah. He's a terrible writer. <laughs> um, now, I don't know if this had any, like, uh, deleted scenes or anything like that like you would get on a dvd i don't know if there's anything like that i didn't see it as part Some of really good ones were there okay because I, I i didn't see it on my amazon renting of it 
But uh, what what what's what else has it got? Any any other mutations? So no, um, I think probably my favorite one. It's really silly, but the there's the scene with the um, older son walking the alpacas and just like smoking a joint and talking to them. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> It's, really, it's just him being like no no wait listen to me listen to me and like making the alpaca sit down and listen to him for like a little bit longer oh, <laughs> no one else was listening to him it's true you know i i was telling my boyfriend the other day the the dvd has the artwork on there it uh-huh. has everybody but the older son like it has all the family members except him and i'm like wow that's messed up you put everybody in there except him yeah everybody's <laughs> like fuck that guy his own parents wow. his own parents don't like him <laughs> the people making the there's movie. like yeah obviously um there's an extended uh scene with when cage is like dragging his daughter upstairs Okay. Um, that whole thing where he's like freaking out on her. That's, that was pretty good too. He's just, I, and I don't remember how much of it is actually in the movie, but like she's, she's cursing and he's like yelling at her for cursing. And, um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm trying to think of what else is on those deleted scenes. I don't know. So here's a quick question. Um, if you uh, had to take one movie or the other to a desert island and it's your only movie, this one or Mandy? Oh, Mandy, fucking hands down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that out yet when we did our when we did our cage match show? I don't. Think, I think so. Was it? Yeah, I was think it? it was. I think we talked about it. Okay. Yeah, I believe we talked about Mandy. I think it had just come out. We had watched it maybe. A month or two before. I know we did an episode on it, just the the three uh, hosts, but uh, yeah, that one, uh, man, there's nothing like it. That's just yeah. bizarre. Now, if I were to open up, uh, let's let's go to IMDb here real quick, and uh, and I gotta say, if we were to pull this up, I want to see if something's true that I heard that he had something like at least five or six movies in post-production for this year. Oh, at least. Yeah. I um, have a whole list. I have a running list on my phone. Oh, you do. <laughs> there's wait, off, just off the top of my head. There's pig. There's Wally's wonderland. There's the unbearable weight of massive talent. There is, um, Oh, hi. That's my cat. Um, <laughs> I wonder who that was. Normally I have barking dogs here. Um, yeah, there's a bunch. There's jujitsu. Um, wow. Yeah, there's a lot. Man works a lot. Uh, usually, okay, so as an actor, he has 106 credits on his IMDb page. Mm hmm. Uh, for a guy who's about 55 years old, that's a lot. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Um, it, it, there is something here that says uh, Untitled Joe Exotic Project TV miniseries Yeah, it's like a TV Yeah, yeah It's in pre, he, um, pre-production, it says Yeah Is he going to play Joe? Is he playing Joe? Yeah Oh, man I was expecting Dax <laughs> Shepard 
Yeah, Dax, Dax Shepard or who else was I thinking? Um, but there just had to be... <laughs> there just had to be somebody who kind of had that trashy thing already sort of dialed in. <laughs> I would like that. Jiu-Jitsu, I wonder what this is. Let's see. I'm going to click on it. Uh, it's a new sci-fi martial arts franchise from... Ooh. Uh, the director, producer of Kickboxer Retaliation, Dimitri Logo, Logothetis, Logothetis. It's a Greek name anyway, it looks like. Um, okay. All right. Jiu-Jitsu. I'll watch it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'll go, I'll go ahead. I'll watch anything Nicolas Cage is in. Uh, I have no choice. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm all cut up. I've seen everything that's been released, so. Now, if, for our listeners who didn't listen to the cage match episode, um, and before we wrap up talking about the movie, I just have to ask, how do you describe yourself? Um, I, I, I could introduce you as as a um, aficionado and enthusiast, but do you have like some sort of a like a a vow or a bet with yourself to see all of this and and d- digest it mentally? Where, how do you describe this when someone meets you? An obsession. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I'll say something like enthusiast or, um, you know, and that I've just decided a few years ago that I was going to see every single movie um, right. that Nick Cage has been in. And it just is what it is. Um, <laughs> some people get it. Some people are like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you have his face tattooed on you. I do. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. yeah. The, the, for anyone who, uh, who wonders about your, uh, your depth of uh, commitment to this. Well, there you have it. Um, this, uh, the C Film Center on Colfax, they're doing like little private screenings right now. You can rent out the theater with up to 10 people. Yeah. Um, and I decided to do it and I decided I got nine people together and told them, Hey, like showing a movie, I'm not going to tell you guys what it is. <laughs> um, nice. and it took me, I had to think pretty hard about what it was going to be, but, um, it was on Saturday and we watched wild at heart. Oh, wow. good joy. And like most of the people hadn't seen it before or hadn't seen it in like 20 years. So it was really, really cool because I had never seen it on a big screen before. And it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies. Oh, man. Um, and it was just so cool to see in that context. Yeah. Did anything ever happen with the band Power Mad? <laughs> you know, so it's funny that you say that. Um, the dancing Because scene. I just rewatched it like... Well, and there, I mean, it's on the radio also. Um, there's the scene where they're driving through, like, the middle of nowhere, and Lula freaks out because everything on the radio is about, like, people getting killed and stuff. And she's just, like, she pulls over, and she's just, like, she jumps out of the car, and she's, like, Sailor, you'll find me some music on that radio this instant. And she just, like, can't handle it. And then he turns the dial, and it's power mad. And he jumps out of the car, and they start thrashing around. It's yeah. one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, so Power Mad only released, um, they released like, I, I don't know if it was two albums or an EP and an album in the 80s. And then just like in, I don't know, 2014 or something, released another album. that Because I the other day I was like, oh, I have to see like if this band's done anything else. And the album's actually pretty good. All right. <laughs> but 
I don't think they ever, you know, got too far. <laughs> it's funny, you know, you you watch a David Lynch film like that and you just you just wonder like most of the choices are his, I would assume, you know, like mm-hmm. I think um his casting and his choice of music are probably, you know, those are probably his choices. Uh, judging by some of the people he's worked with and, you know, time and time again, um, Mm -hmm. you pluck some band like that out of obscurity. I mean, it's not like they were on the rise and everyone knew their name. It's like, I'd never heard of them before I saw, uh, wild at heart. Yeah. And, uh, I heard, I heard their music and I went, Oh, I would probably listen to more of this. And then I never did, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just but yeah i mean i was and i was into a lot of that stuff back in the like the 90s and 2000s when i was a kid like i was really into thrash metal and stuff yeah. i had never heard of them so yeah i don't know where the hell they came from <laughs> yeah it was like uh there was a band called prong and i remember they were promoting oh, man. prong at one point <laughs> yeah and I, I worked at a music store and i was like huh okay and the guy who did all the metallica art uh pushead had done like like one of their <laughs> album covers or something like and it's like, okay, let's see where these guys go. And then I never heard much from them after that. I think they Yeah, I remember them though. They blew, I remember Prong. That was, yeah. They blew all their advance. They were big, but <laughs> I mean you heard yeah. you heard of them. I think they blew all their advance paying pushead. <laughs> and then, you know, they were broke. So um so how the movie wraps up, um, now, this is more about Lovecraft's writing than anything else, but how they handled it in terms of the mood and the visuals. Were you, were you both uh, happy with it? Were you, did it leave you wanting yeah. something else or something more? Mm, I don't think so. Kind of a soft landing, wasn't it, for how harsh everything got? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of kind of build up, and I, I love that... Um, the scene where oh what's the water guy's name oh what is his um name? where he goes into the house and time's all warped and he's seeing all this stuff that happened in the past and then suddenly you know he's being beaten up by nick cage who's like that whole thing i thought that was really cool yeah um the whole i liked all the time stuff yeah, time yeah. time skipping, time warping, time bending or standing still. Um that that's some scary stuff. Because imagine like uh I don't know, well back to the UFO stuff, like the like you would hear uh, some some accounts from people who were um experiencers or abductees or whatever uh the the case might be like uh Betty and Barney Hill. Uh they experienced lost time of several hours and uh, only later were able to kind of piece it together and, you know, figure out that, Oh, maybe those aliens were doing stuff to us for all that time. Or, you know, maybe they, maybe they have the ability to stop time, Mm -hmm. but, um, but that is some scary stuff to think about. Like, you know, like we were talking about the, um, the dishwashing scene. Yeah. Where the daughter is standing there and like it shows the clock and it's like 11 something. And then she kind of just like spaces out and then it shows the clock again and it's like four or something. Uh. Um, but what was interesting was that um, 
so you know she's cleaning up like the mess from her mom cutting her finger off right so it's like bloody water but the water only starts pouring out of the sink after time kind of skips forward yeah and so that was kind of interesting because it's like okay well yes five hours has elapsed but obviously it's not been just like linear time because otherwise there would be water all over the floor right and like it just started pouring out of the sink in that moment yeah that that was uh definitely handled well because there's there's a lot of you know completely off the wall ways different directors could try to handle that and that was you know subtle enough but you couldn't miss it you know mm-hmm. i think that is a, that is a good point um <clears throat> yeah they they ended it pretty quietly but we also had to wonder was there going to be more from this uh that was going to affect the world around it or was it just going to kind of uh collapse in on itself and go away I have, well there was the whole water thing like he said i w- well i wouldn't drink this water but yeah but that was the whole thing that the mayor was trying to um just get this reservoir thing pushed through because the water um from like that area where the farm was was going to be bottled up and like it was like supplying water to half the east coast or something they said Uh, okay so yeah there's that whole it's, it's kind of glossed over that's one of the deleted scenes um they say it a little bit in the regular cut, but then there's a little bit more in the deleted scene about um, when the water guy goes to the mayor's office and it's implied that um, this reservoir is going to happen. And then this, you know, water that's, you know, infected or whatever with the alien stuff is going to be distributed all over the. Yeah, that's country. right. I remember that. Okay. <clears throat> so it is uh, assimilation. <clears throat> kind of like uh, cabin fever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, there's the inevitable takeover, and you know, if we were to simply look at how a virus can spread, well, you know, if you have if you have this uh, this meteorite, whether it intends it or not, uh, it, it's it's assimilating everything and taking over, mutating everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Annihilation did, did have a lot in common with this. You know, it's funny, like Mm -hmm. that, that's running in the background in my mind. Well, since Will mentioned it, it's like, yeah, like time doesn't make any difference. Everything's mutating. Yeah. Stuff looks weird and doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we got to wonder if those writers borrowed from this story, maybe. Of course, uh, now that I realize I could read the story out of a book sitting next to me, I might just do that. <laughs> See if it even, if it, does it mention it to the point where it could be stolen for another movie? Right. Or how much of this movie is just straight out of Richard Stanley's imagination? But, uh, uh, Jackie, do you know the story about when um, Richard Stanley was uh, hired and then later fired to make, um, to direct Island of Dr. Moreau? A little bit. I, I didn't know anything about him until this movie was coming out. And like, I read a little bit, but yeah, not too much. Well, he's a lot more grounded than I think the first time I read or heard an interview with him. Um, I thought he was maybe a little bit off the wall, but he seems more grounded than that. 
having heard him. I, I, like I said, I think it was on Mick Garris's podcast. Um, the story you need to know basically is that um, stuff started getting really weird and there were some, um, some problems with um, contract and budget and um, certain actors who were being problematic and uh, people were locked in to have to stay. Was it New Zealand, Will? Within Australia. Australia, okay. There was so they were filming in Australia. I think it was an island off of Australia's coast somewhere, or something crazy like that. Um, so the, there was a, there were a lot of problems with the production of the movie, and uh, actors weren't getting along with other actors. Basically, um, uh, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. You know, did not like each other. Brando was messing with everybody, but they, they had a lot of money tied into him. And uh, at some point they decided, well, we got to fire Richard Stanley. And <clears throat> there were so many people who were fired or quit at the same time that when he decided to just sort of go stay out in the, uh, out in the jungle for a little while, uh, there was a guy who had been an actor who was now rehired as a driver but they didn't realize that they had fired him previously. He still had the dog mutant costume. So Richard Stanley borrowed it from him. And then he was just hanging out on the set, like listening to conversations and he knew what was going on. And he was filmed in scenes wearing the dog costume, <laughs> which is crazy. If you think about it, it's like he went from the director of the movie to fired and stay the hell away from the set to, haunting the set in a dog costume and them not knowing it, which I thought was pretty, pretty glorious. Yeah. Well, the documentary is really good on, uh, on that mo making of that movie. Uh, Hearts of Darkness? Yeah, or something like that. I think that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's, the documentary is totally worth it, for sure. And, awesome, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, that was one of those doomed productions. And uh, I think he's still friends with Feruza Balk. But, uh, <laughs> but Brando was encouraging her to just be impossible, too. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, they have to do what you say. <laughs> they have to put up with your shit. Do whatever you want. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I think, I think Brando's whole like last 20 years of his life was a big piece of performance art. Sure. Hon honestly, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he cared about the movies he was in. I think he cared about the hilarious manipulating of other people that he did. Mm. Anywho. So, um, he was trolling in real life. He was <laughs> in real life in real time. <laughs> So, so Will, can you recommend this movie to horror fans? Yeah, I'd recommend this movie to horror fans. Jackie, what do you think? For sure. Okay. Do you think the normies can watch this, or do you think it's a, like <laughs> regular people? Who yeah, can't? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the uh, there are some parts that might be a little tough for them, but. <laughs> Well, I think our, I think we have a different barometer for stuff. Like, we've already baked in enough stuff from having watched Cronenberg and Henenlotter and yeah. all, all these other directors, uh, Lynch. 
I mean, we've got a lot of stuff baked into our psyche and our our ability to process that I don't know that a lot of normal movie fans <laughs> yeah. can jump into this and be like, okay, I see what they're doing here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah the mother and child merged. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. Uh, yeah, I would say I'd recommend it to horror fans, but I would tell... I would tell other people to just like, yeah, you know, you might want to wade into something a little less harsh and then work your way up to this one. Mm. It's not. I it, say it's a film for the whole family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for that fucking teenage son who smokes the weed. <laughs> not him. In fact, we don't even want him on the video box. Um. Not sure what we're going to do next time, but um, but I'm sure like we we had considered doing another voodoo extravaganza, so so that might be the next the next episode. But uh, Jackie, I can't thank you enough for taking your time, especially after a, a, a hectic afternoon and you know all that <laughs> stuff to join it's us. My pleasure. Thanks much. for having me. You're welcome. We're probably due for another cage match. I mean, this is a one-off film, but. You know, maybe we need to watch some of this new stuff that comes out and just say, all right, of the latest stuff, what do we like, you know? I feel like um, whenever it comes out, Wally's Wonderland would be a good okay. thing to talk about. All right. Okay. Well, it's been too long since but. we did the previous one, so let's do the next one sooner. And uh, Sounds good to me. At some point, we'll be able to tell the listeners and you what um, Jolien's secret project is that he's working on. And it's, uh, oh. it's, it's a big one. It's, it's an awesome thing that he's working on and, uh, everyone's going to know his name <laughs> who doesn't already and, and yeah. not, not the yacht furniture guy either. <laughs> the different guy. <laughs> There's a guy who makes high end yacht furniture. That's got the same name as Jolien. So it's weird. <laughs> we just have to make sure people understand that it's not the same guy. <laughs> Unless he could fool exact them, like, guy. yeah, send you know, just tell people I'm doing something a little different with my furniture now, and just like sell them a bunch of shit that you bought at IKEA. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be all right. Well, should we call it a show? Let's call it a show. It's a show, and um, <laughs> and listeners, we appreciate you, and uh, thank you for listening. Mind the door. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks, Jackie. All right. See you later. All right. Bye. Kick it. Bye.